Nothing great about the day here. It's wonderful weather for a Sunday afternoon. Swelling the crowd even further. And as mentioned, it's by no means one way here, the support. Benfica have a tremendous following. I think that surprises many of us who visit every year for the International Champions Cup, actually, just how well supported they are across the United States. Welcome to episode 27 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, of course, the Mr. Mike Agostinho. And how is everyone doing? Uh, we're coming to you a little late. I know it's been a while. It's been a few weeks since we talked about um, Benfica. Uh, things have been going on for me <laughs> professionally. And um, and I, my time has been so limited. But um, I'm not skipping any games. In this episode today, all right, episode 27, we're talking about the Clásico versus Football Club de Porto. We're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about the lineups. We're gonna talk about what went right, what went wrong. All right, um, we're going to talk about um, maybe some of the changes I might have made. Maybe what I saw upon watching it. Uh, I watched it several times. Part of the reason it's taken so long to put this episode out is because I watched it a few extra times. Um, trying to really, really get an understanding of what went down that day uh, on the on the pitch at the Stadio de Luz uh, between, of course, the eternal rivals, Sport Lisboa Bifica and Football Club do Porto. Okay, um, I know spirits are quite down about that. I know that um, three points lost at home is never a good thing. These matches are always more about more than just three points for the supporters. Are they worth more than three points to the players and the coaches as well? We'll talk about that. Um, we'll also get into the approach taken by Porto in this game. Okay, I, I saw as much from Porto as I did from Benfica. I've tried to watch the game from both perspectives. And I'm going to give you my feedback on what I think I saw. And now with the benefit of having some time and some perspective to add to the match, um, now that the emotions have tempered down and a subsequent match has been played, which will be talked about in episode 28, of course, which is going to come to you shortly within the next couple of days. Um, I'm going to be firing off some episodes now in short, uh, in short order, you know, in a quick space of time in between the episodes to catch back up, um, this is by no means am I skipping anything, uh, I am going to go... 
right through the, the matches as we got a lot coming up in the next two weeks or so. We've got this match here in this episode against Porto. The next episode, we'll talk about the match against Braga. We'll talk about the close of the transfer window. Um, I got a ma another episode coming out shortly thereafter where we're going to talk about the Women's Super Cup. Also, an episode of Mr. Portugal coming at you for the international window before we get ready for Gilles Vicente and RB Leipzig. Also, coming up very quickly, UEFA Champions League. It's right around the corner. Um, in the news today, we will talk about Benfica's group uh, in the UEFA Champions League, all right? As um, Portugal qualifies five teams for the first time uh, that I can remember, and I believe it's the first time ever, five teams to the group stages of European competitions. Benfica in the UEFA Champions League, and of course, Porto, Sporting, Sporting Braga, and Vitória Guimarães all in the group stage of the UEFA Europa League. Portugal with a great, great opportunity to jump ahead of Russia in the UEFA coefficient race and get that extra, that third Champions League spot for next season. Um, allowing, of course, the runner-up also to go straight to the group stage. So if you're into the coefficient, if, you, if you're watching that, uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting season for you. Um, if you're just watching Befica kind of like I do, Still going to be interesting. The group is very interesting. Um, anything can happen in this year's edition of the UEFA Champions League, of course. Uh, we also have news um, we'll talk about in the next couple of episodes. There's been a draw for the the League Cup as well. And um, that won't be hit on in this episode, but in the very near future. All right, so really quick, um, just my initial feedback on the match against Porto. Very, very uh, difficult result to swallow, I think. Um, I found myself more emotionally invested in this match. Um, I usually try to take a much more pragmatic, a much more uh, level-headed approach to these matches, but uh, I was yelling at the TV, no lie, no doubt about it. My wife nearly kicked me out of the living room and told me to go watch it somewhere else because I was, I was screaming obscenities at the television. I was calling the Porto players all names. <laughs> um, very frustrating to watch the way the second half, uh, so little of the second half was spent playing, and so much of it was time-wasting. But, of course, we gave uh, we gave them the opportunity to do that, and I am not going to relinquish Benfica from their responsibilities. And playing in front of a sold-out crowd at home, um, the performance had to be better. Um, all the way across the board, Befica were beaten. They were beaten soundly, in my opinion. They were beaten fairly. Um, as much as I do not like and I despise the the manner in which that team plays this game, the manner in which they compose themselves, uh, I, I do have to tip my hat and give credit to FC Porto because they did come in with a clear plan. They did figure out a way to come to the Luge to get three points at a time where that team was was near rock bottom and you know us along with everybody else is laughing at them um i don't know that the players necessarily came in overconfident but they definitely came in confident and um they were a bit i would say that they were a bit overly comfortable i wouldn't say they were overconfident but they were overly comfortable in this match and that's something that really can't be excused. And it starts with the manager, okay? Um, 
Bruno Leish did not have what we call an estágio, meaning the team did not even spend the night before the match in the team hotel, something that they are accustomed to every single home game. For whatever reason, in this game, the players spent the night before at home. It sounds like something small, but once you start to get away from the way you do things and the way you do business and the way that you prepare for home games and you start variating from that, uh, I think you're asking for trouble. I think the team came in overly relaxed, overly comfortable, like I said. Not overconfident, but overcomfortable. And made a lot of mistakes. And as soon as they saw things were not going well, and as soon as they saw Porto was more than prepared, this was not the Porto that gave up three to Krasnodar. Okay, they th I think they thought they were going to walk all over them. Um, you know, they would get a first goal somehow. They would hang on. Um... They really looked like they were not prepared for that, that Porto that showed up that day. And um, a phenomenal job in midfield by Porto, uh, blocking the lanes for Benfica, figuring out Benfica's strong points and taking them away, uh, forcing other players to hurt them, and the other players were not able to do that. We'll get into it into the, when we get into the analysis of the match. All right. So stay right there. We got the news coming up after Reconquista, and then we'll get right into the match. All right. This is Mr. Befica. I am the host, Mike Agustinu, also known as the Mister, of course. Follow me on Twitter at Befica Mister and on Instagram at Mr. Befica. Don't forget Facebook. Just search Mr. Befica, and you will find me there. All right. Stay right there. We will be right back. Sofrida a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Quem não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós Carregas sozinho em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo In 
the news this week. It's very, very quick. Just a few news items, and it's all about the UEFA Champions League draw. That's right, Benfica drop is drawn into Group G with Zenit St. Petersburg, Olympic Lyon, and RB Leipzig. Okay, so the first match of the UEFA Champions League will be home to RB Leipzig um, on the 17th of September. On the 2nd of October, Benfica traveled to Russia to take on the Russian champion Zenit. Um, October the 23rd, home to Olympic Lyon. Um, two weeks thereafter, a fortnight later, Olympic Lyon visit the Luge. The 27th of November, Benfica are in the former East Germany versus Leipzig. And finishing group play at home on the 10th of December against Zenit St. Petersburg, all right? Um, important group, difficult um, to judge where this group is going to go because although there's no favorite and the guys at ESPN FC obviously were laughing about this group. One of my least favorite pundits on that show is Alejandro Moreno laughing at this group saying that it shouldn't even be a Champions League group and how do four such bad teams end up in a group together. I think that's a very ignorant comment by the former Venezuela and Major League Soccer player. Um, and he always seems to have a little bit of an attitude and a little bit of a dislike regarding anything Portuguese. I notice he's always heavily critical, Cristiano Ronaldo, heavily critical of... Jose Mourinho, overly enthusiastically a fanboy of Lionel Messi, overly enthusiastic a fanboy of Pep Guardiola and company, um, and it looks like some of that bias, um, some of the, even some of that, I'm not going to say it, but some of that bias against Portuguese um, comes out in Ale, Ale Moreno's um, thoughts of this group, I think, um, as he looks down his nose at Benfica, Zenit, Leon, and Leipzig. Um, really a very in my opinion, very balanced group. Anybody can come out of this in first place. Anybody can come out of this in fourth place. There's absolutely zero guarantee. Every match is going to be a battle. There's no easy game in this group, unlike most groups. All right, you got you drew the worst possible team out of pot four, which is Leipzig. They're so much better than a pot four team. Um, Leon are experienced. You know, we're going to see. Um, we're going to see Portugal. You know, international keeper Anthony Lopes in that match. And Zenit are the champions of Russia and Portugal, Russia. For those of you uh, following the coefficient race, Portugal and Russia neck and neck. And it's going to be definitely um, a big grudge match in the, in the battle to finish sixth in the UEFA coefficient race to try to get that extra spot in next year's Champions League. So, um, Benfica are going to be carrying the flag for Portugal in this competition. Obviously, no other Portuguese teams in this competition. Um, it's only Benfica. And basically, all the pressure's on Benfica to, to get out of this group. It, they need to get out of this group, but this is a very difficult group. I don't care what anyone says. Um, no, you're not facing Manchester City or Barcelona or Juventus or anybody like that. Uh, but you got four very even teams and anybody can come out of this group. The under-19s, of course, will play the same exact schedule on the same days as part of the UEFA Youth League. All right. The only other bit of news this week, goalkeeper Odie Vlacodimos signs, uh, or I should say re-signs or extends his contract all the way to 2024. That's the news. Let's get into the Classico on the other side. 
I am, of course, the Mr. Mike Agustino. Find me on Instagram at Mr. Benfica and on Twitter at Benfica Mr. Stay right there, and we'll start breaking down the Clásico versus Football Club do Porto, round three of the Liga Nage season. Mr. Benfica episode 27. Uh, it's all about the reality check today. It's about the Clásico uh, Football Club do Porto and Sport Lisboa Benfica. This one at the Estádio de Luz. Let's go back in time a little bit. Let's go back to round three of the Liga Nage 2019-20. We're at the Estádio de Luz in front of a full house. And the referee is Jorge Souza. The starting lineups, beginning with the visitors, Porto in goal. The man that I, I believe I said this in the previous podcast. If I didn't, I'll say it now. The top goalkeeper in Portugal, uh, Augustin Marchesin. Okay, this guy came from Club America. The 32-year-old Argentinian international, very, very good goalkeeper. Already has shown his ability this season for the Dragons both in um, the early rounds of the Champions League. Despite Porto being knocked out of the competition, he was phenomenal in the one nothing win in Russia, as well as in the early matches of the Liga Nage season. He wouldn't be much of a factor, though, in this one. He was mostly, a, unfortunately for us, mostly a spectator. But Marchezine is in goal. The right back is Tecatito Corona, uh, an, ad- an adapted right back, playing a bit out of position. 
um, the Mexican international, but uh, very, very serviceable. The center back pairing is Pep and Marcano, with Alex Telge playing on the left. The double pivot in midfield, fantastic performance from these two guys in this match. Uh, the Portugal international, Danilo, uh, teamed up with Colombian Mateus Uribe, also um, an off-season signing for Porto, or I should say an off-season transfer, as he, as along with Marchesin, was brought in from Club América of Liga MX, where they together won the Clausura title. Um, this time last year, last December, they lifted the trophy for the Clausura Championship in Mexico. The... Uh, rounding out the midfield on the right side, you had young Portuguese player Romário Barro, one of the heroes of Porto's UEFA Youth League triumph, uh, UEFA Youth League Championship team last season, and Colombian Luis Diaz on the other side with the twin strikers and really big, strong twin tower style strikers Marega and. Cape Verdean international new signing also just in from the Russian Super League to Football Club Porto Zeluis and he would make his mark on this rivalry and on this match. Benfica across lines up with Odian goal. The back is un, the back line is untouched from the previous uh, two rounds. Nuno Tavares also adapted right back uh, started. In, at the right back once again with the center back pairing that has become a custom in the Brunelage era. Ferru and Ruben Diaz playing together as center backs with Grimaldo playing on the left. The double pivot for Benfica, Samaris and Florentino Luiz. Pizzi on the right, Rafa on the left, and the twin strikers for Benfica, Seferovic and Raul de Tomas, a.k.a. RDT. We pick up the we pick up the TV broadcast, and this one this week comes to you courtesy of uh, Benfica TV of BTV. Um, the commentators, of course, as always, are Elder Kundut and Rogério Matias. Um, as the cameras pan into the stadium, we've already seen the walkout, and I will survive is firing up the crowd. As the fans whip their scarves to the speed of the music. Fantastic environment at the Luge for the start of this Clásico. Um, eight Portuguese players in the starting lineup today for both squads. So of the 22 starting... Of the 22 players that are starting this match for each team. Um, eight are Portuguese. Five of course from Benfica. And three from... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, five, six from Benfica and three, two from Porto. All right, which is a very high number for Porto to have uh, to have that many Portuguese players in the team, as you've heard what I call them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm not gonna do that tonight though, as um, I only make fun of the rivals when we beat them. When we lose. Um, you got to tip your hat and be respectful. Okay, so the match kicks off with Marega kicking it backwards, and the match is underway. A combined seven starters from the two squads are making their debut in this Clásico, and as I said, Elder Condute and Rogério Matias bring us the call 
on BTV. In the first minute, Samarish with a poor pass, broken up by Tecatito, um, finds its way to Rafa, who wins possession and breaks. He finds Pizzi breaking down the right, and he tries a long cross for Seferovic, who is able, though he can't get on the end of it, is able to run it down before it goes out of play, and he turns it into a left-footed cross of his own, but it's won away by Pep, the European, of course, 2016 champion with Portugal central defender. Pep, also a Champions League winner in the past with Real Madrid, is there and heads the ball away. We're told by, by Elder Conduta at this point that Grimaldo is starting for his 60th consecutive league match. That's right, 60 consecutive league matches in the starting lineup for Grimaldo. Very impressive feat, no doubt, for the Spanish left back of Befica. Third minute, Pizzi tries a long diagonal cross again. Um, and he tries it from just outside the center circle. It's intended for RDT, but Marchesin is the first one to it, and the Argentinian pounces on it. Three minutes later, we're in the sixth minute. Pizzi again tries another long one, this uh, this time from the flank, more so from the, the center channel, and it's easily again, or this time it is intercepted by Mateus Uribe, um, easily intercepted by the Colombian midfielder. Seventh minute, Grimaldo wins the ball from Romario Baró, but it's another um, another poor pass by a Benfica player, and he plays it right to Uribe, Uribe, excuse me, who would have plenty of interceptions in this match. Uribe, for me, one of the real key guys in this matchup. Um, he's one of the guys obviously making his debut in the Clásico, and he really, really stamped his influence in this match. Uh, Uribe, of course, works the ball around. It finds its way to Takatito. Tecatito down the right finds Danilo, and the Portugal international plays a switch, finds Luis Diaz, who tries to play in Alex Telge, but the ball gets cleared only as far um, as Romario Barro. Barro with his left, hits his left-footed effort, but it is over the bar above Odi, and for the moment, the trouble is averted by Benfica. Porto looking very confident, I noted here. On the ball early. I didn't like how Benfica were letting them get com comfortable on the ball. Um, nervousness seemed to set in when Benfica saw that Porto were here for real. And I don't know why that's going to surprise them. For the past 30 years, Porto, whether they're flying high or they're, or they're crashing low, when they play Benfica, they come in ready to play. They bring a lot of hassa, a lot of gaja, and um, this should be no different. As Benfica allowing Porto to connect passes and get confidence. And the traveling Porto fans are already being heard within the first 10 minutes of the match. In the 11th minute, Jorge Souza stops the match for an apparent problem with his referee, uh, with the referee's communication system. The, and the camera during the stoppage shows Portugal national team manager. Fernando Santos in the Tribuna Presidencial of the Estadio de Luz um, as he's on, he's watching on, looking, thinking about his upcoming, uh, his upcoming international window. 
where Portugal have two key matchups, uh, both on the road, away to Serbia and away to Lithuania. 14th minute, the game is back on as Marchezine's dropkick is driven on a line. Three quarters of the length of the pitch, but it's won by Grimaldo who heads it to Samaric. But the Greek, the Greek mid-international is under tremendous pressure. Porto really came out to press in this matchup. And Uribe in, in Barro, as well as Luis Diaz, helping to complete the triangle around the Benfica midfielder. And this would be a theme all match long, as every time Samaric and Florentino would receive the ball, they'd find themselves in the middle of a triangle surrounded on all sides by Porto players and surrounded by blue and white. And on this one, Samaric is able to toe-poke the ball to Tino, who found himself just as easily closed down and as quickly closed down. This time it was Luis Diaz, and he had the ball stripped. But the loose ball is won by Grimaldo. Grimaldo then looks for Rafa, but the pass is too heavy and is won by Pep, who tries to clear, but only as far as Samaric again. The ball is back on the Greek, whose first time and his first time pass to Rafa, um, plays Rafa in, and Rafa takes off. Uh, but the rest of Benfica stand and watch. They're ball watching as the Portugal international Rafa is carrying the ball from the defensive third into the attacking third. But um, he really runs out of space, but he's fortunate to be bailed out by his national team teammate Danilo, who brings Rafa down from behind needlessly, in my opinion, um, even because... Rafa was running in a straight line right at Marcano, and he had no options. There was nothing but blue jerseys in front of him, blue and white stripes in front of him. But Danilo, no, no less, brings Rafa down from behind um, rather than trying to run with him. And Benfica are gifted, really, a free kick in the 15th minute by Porto. And this free kick is just a few steps from Marchezin's penalty area. Elder Kondut gives an interesting stat that Grimaldo has scored three times from a direct free kick as a Benfica player, but Bizi to this day, who also stands over the ball on these direct kicks, is yet to is yet to convert a direct free kick into the goal for Benfica. He has zero goals from direct free kicks, um, and Grimaldo's left-footed effort would undoubtedly hit the wall and... Benfica's threat is cancelled out by the wall of Football Club do Porto. 17th minute, Grimaldo plays the ball backward to Ruben, who knocks a beautifully driven diagonal right to Rafa, who cuts goal side on his right foot at the edge of the area. But instead of shooting, he decides to play in Seferovic, and that ball is cut off by none other than Pep. Um, it rebounds, though, however, comes back out to Grimaldo, Grimaldo, who curves, uh, I'm sorry, Grimaldo carves at full speed ahead until he is dispossessed in the area by a sliding Tecatito Corona. Uh, Benfica cries for penalty kicks, but the replay obviously would show that there was nothing there. The ball, it was all ball on this tackle, as it was clean as can be, and the Mexico international wins the ball. Porto is on the counter now in the same play. With Zeluiz running at pace, beating four Benfica players. And then he plays in Luis Diaz, who looks to shoot, but his shot is blocked at the very last second by a last-ditch effort. Sliding 
tackle from Ruben Diaz. Ruben, no doubt, saving a uh, clear scoring opportunity for the Colombian. And what a chain of events here in the 17th minute. All that that I just read off happened within the space of a minute. A Benfica direct kick at the edge of the area ends up in a counter. Breakaway going the other way in which it takes a Ruben Dias tackle at the very last instant to prevent a very dangerous scoring chance for the Dragões. 19th minute. RDT drops in to receive the ball and turns nicely in his own half. Tries to surprise Porto by playing a long one to Seth, but again, it's Marchezine who is one step ahead. Comes out very high to win it outside his area with his feet. And it's already looking, and as we're approaching the 20th minute, Benfica are really only getting attacks out of the long balls. Porto's press is really affecting Benfica in this one. Uh, Benfica really having trouble building up play. This was going to be Sergio Conceição's. Um, this was going to be his, his his objective, his plan for the entire match. I don't think there's any surprise there. Everyone expected Porto to come out with a very, very strong press. And Benfica, though, look a little bit unprepared for it. They're not finding any passing channels. Uh, when the ball does find its way central to Samarish and Tino, they're quickly closed down before they can get anything going. Benfica's instead resorting to Route 1 football, playing it long, and though they're getting chances, we know it's just a matter of time before that starts hitting brick walls. That is Porto's game. Why, you know, we find ourselves trying to be Porto at their own game rather than taking their game away and trying to impose our own um, and a lot of it is due to the double pivot uh, in midfield for Porto. Like I said, Danilo, Uribe, very, very key elements in this match. You can already see it through the first 20 minutes. Um, and you see Benfica starting to lock, lock, uh, knock far too many long balls. And they're relying on it. They're not finding anything else. And I think anybody watching the game closely is going to say that this is not the way Benfica have run off. These, you know, these past 20 victories in the last 21 or 21 victories in the last 22 uh, in the Brunelage era. This has not been the way that they've done it. And concern for me, at least. And I and you can see the concern on the on the faces of the fans in the crowd. You can see it on the face of Brunelage. You can see it on the face of the players. Things just don't feel right. 20th minute, Tecatito fouls Rafa. And as he's just a moment late. But again, Porto giving Benfica absolutely no time or space on the ball. Yeah, this one happened to be a foul. But again, quick close down. If you're Benfica, you're wondering when this pressure is going to let up. Is this team going to tire out? What happened to the lousy performing Porto from just 10 days earlier? Beaten in their home stadium by the, you know, the Russian Menos Krasnodar. This is not the Porto that showed up today at the, or showed up on that day at the Stadio de Luz. Porto mean all business in this match. And you can see, um, you can see I've noted here that Ticatito's finally wearing the name he's known by on his jersey rather than just wearing the surname that nobody uses except for Portuguese commentators and Portuguese journalists. Nobody calls him Jesus Corona. He is Tecatito, and this season Tecatito is wearing his 
nickname on his jersey. I noted that because that was the first time I've noticed his name on the back of his jersey. Also noticed he was wearing it uh, for Mexico in their 3 nothing victory during the international window over the United States um, in their continued dominance of that rivalry. 21st minute, Colombian Luis Diaz clears a ball, which is initially won by Nuno Tavares, but as he is an overwhelmingly and just far, far too obviously, um, I'll almost say handicapped by his left-footedness, okay? He's such an overwhelmingly left-footed player playing on the right. His body position is all wrong, and he leaves the ball completely exposed and unprotected, and he's quickly pickpocketed and beat with one touch uh, from Mateusz, who plays with who plays wide to Marega, and on the first touch, Marega with his head up picks up picks out the run of Zeluiz, and he's in one v one with Odie, but the pass was just slightly too heavy. Zeluiz coming in on goal rather than facing the goal square. The pass was just a slight bit too heavy. It, it drove Zeluiz just slightly to the right, allowing Odie to close down the angle. And Zeluiz's shot uh, was saved by Mifika's Greek international keeper. A replay there, I did note, showed Mifika's backline completely out of whack. Ferru is a good 3-4 paces behind the rest of the backline, allowing Zeluiz to remain onside as as Grimaldo is telling Odi to come out, but the Greek goalkeeper stays home and makes a save with his left hand. And it looks like the Greek goalkeeper trusts his instincts and not his left back in this sense. As um, perhaps he read that he was either afraid to come out, which many people will criticize him for, or he read that that pass was going to be slightly too heavy and he would be able to cut the angle off with just one more step. He stayed home, took that step to cut the angle, and made a nice save with his right, with his left hand. Excuse me. Twenty-one minutes now in, or twenty-two minutes ensuing corner kick is taken by Alex Telge um, at the edge of the goal area. Okay. Uh, obviously, um, I'm sorry, the Alex Telge's corner is won at the edge of the, of the goal area, the small box, by Fehu, but his header goes towards his own, it goes towards his own, his own right to a retracting Zeluiz, and this is because Fehu's header hits Ruben Diaz in the back and finds its way to <laughs> to a, retreat, a retreating Zeluiz, who manages to flick it with the inside of his heel past Odi and Porto strike first on this defensive mishap. Very nice finish from Zeluiz. Very uh, difficult finish, but really the only way he could put a shot on goal was to do that as he was coming the other direction. He was coming away from goal. The ball finds its way between his legs and he is able to flick it with the inside of his ankle, you know, or the inside of his heel rather. And it is his fourth goal of the season. Um, some people criticizing Odie on this one. He said they say that ball is on the small box, that that's his. I don't think Nelson Verissimo, the coach uh, for Befica on set pieces, uh, would agree with that. I think the way that the back line was set up, 
That ball went exactly where Benfica wanted it to. It went to Ferru. However, Ferru's clearance, he didn't quite execute the header right. And then he headed it off his teammate, Ruben Diaz's back. And that's how the ball ended up going towards the far post, where Zeluish was there to get just enough on it to redirect it into goal. And um, at first, it was it was... It was very confusing as to how that ball ended up there, but again, the replay would show in slow motion, Ferru, Ferru, rather, heading it off of Ruben's back and again falling perfectly for the Cape Verdean to flick it into the goal. But the Benfica fans get behind their team right away and they try to encourage them. As you can hear the Benfica fans beginning um, or I should say continuing to support the team regardless of the early setback. 27th minute here, we got a foul. Samadish um, fouls Mateo Zoribi out of sheer frustration. Um, and Befica are starting to show signs of panic. You can see it already. 27th minute and Befica making needless fouls, frustrated fouls. They're just kicking players. And um, right here you needed a captain. To settle everyone down, there's been a lot of criticism from some people about PZ's captaining ability. This was where we needed him to settle everybody down. Tell the guys there's plenty of time. Focus, refocus your, your attention. Let's get this thing under control. But rather, Benfica seemed to be lacking that on the field. Bruno Lage looks on from the, from the bench, but he looks a little bit shell-shocked as well. And players are either carrying the ball at full speed into traffic or they're playing it long. Uh, it appears Benfica players have lost the, their own the belief in themselves that they can move the ball um, the way they normally do and that they don't believe that, this, that um, they can move the ball on this Porto team on this day, it looks like. Um, real, real beginnings of showing a lack of belief in the Benfica uh, players as they're, they're seeing difficulty and rather than coming up with solutions or rather than sharpening their focus, they seem to be happy to avoid the, the pressure and knock it long. The problem is we're not built for that. Our forwards are not built for that game. We're playing right into Porto's game and we're allowing Porto to impose their play on us. And um, in the 30th minute, Marcano will play the ball off PZ for a goal kick uh, as the you know on a long another long ball. And Benfica's captain on the day loses his mind with the assistant referee again. Like I said, when Benfica need a captain to settle the team down, Benfica's captain is losing his mind on an assistant referee, thinking he won a corner. Um, Perhaps he did. It was tough to tell. However, the the attitude and the mentality and the body language of the Benfica players very, very concerning at this point, one-third of the way through the match. Porto beginning to slow the game, and they're already starting to manage the clock after a half hour. Um, as Marchezine has already taken his time, as George Souza is telling him to hurry up with the goal kick. one nothing Porto lead in the 30th minute, and Porto are starting to... To do, you know, they're carrying out their plan for the match. And yes, it's an obnoxious plan. And yes, it's infuriating, um, especially if you're a Benfica fan. But Benfica have no one to blame but themselves to be in this situation. Granted, it was a little bit of a lucky goal. But, you know, 
key matches like this, lucky goals change the entire dynamic. I think that's really that goal would change a chain of rea- uh, a chain of events through the rest of the match with with Porto always having the upper hand now because of the goal lead. Benfica would make a Benfica would have to make a a move. Porto would counter. Benfica would make a move. Porto would adjust, and Porto just always getting the upper hand now through the rest of the match. Really, after that goal goes in, thirty second minute, Samadis tracks hard and does well to take the ball from Zeluige. The Greek international finds RDT, who's the recipient of of a real um, he's a recipient of a real criminal foul from Pep, a really hard foul. However, Jorge Souza keeps the yellow card in his pocket. Another theme that would happen in this match. Um, Benfica did not lose this match because of the referee by any means. But Jorge Souza really, really lenient with the blue and white stripes. And um, a free kick to Benfica. But they're incapable of attacking uh, down the right. Every time the ball works its way right, it gets to Nunu Tavares. And he puts the ball on his left, and that makes him either stop the forward motion, allowing Porto easily cut off all his passing lanes, or it's lost or played out for another long, for another throw, or he knocks a long ball that gets won by Porto's keeper in back four. Really, Benfica playing with ten offensively. Again, I am not going to beat this kid up. He's completely out of position having to play on the right side. It's not his fault. And people got a little bit of uh, misguided, mis, um, overly enthusiastic about his his debut performance in the first match against Pascal Fajeda, where he had a goal and two assists. It's one thing playing against Pascal Fajeda in a match where your right-footed, def- or I should say, your left-footed defender playing on the right has all kinds of time and space to play with the ball. Another thing playing against. Football Club de Porto and a Clásico against a team basically set up. Okay, Sergio Conceição set Porto up to leave only that option open for Benfica. Basically baiting them and welcoming them to play the ball to the right so that it finds its way to Nuntavares. And by the time it gets to him and he puts the ball on his left foot, the passing lanes are closed. Um... Moving forward, we're in the 38th minute. Porto are in full control now, and frustration, really, for the fans, the the viewers, the, the coaching staff, the players on the field. Everybody's frustrated right now, as Porto look like the home team. And Romario Barro's shot is way over Odie for a goal kick. However, Porto look confident, and they're quickly picking up the youngsters' spirits and telling them to keep going. 40th minute, Rafa has an in-swinging cross off of his right foot. He finds Sef's head. Seferovic, um, the reigning golden boot winner, would, would however head it high, way high, over Marchesin for a goal kick. And it was a rare scoring opportunity for the Aguiers in this match. In the 40th minute, the ensuing goal kick, uh, Marchesin now gets his yellow card caution for time-wasting. As he would sit there and not put the ball in play. George Souza um, finally had enough. He shows the yellow card to the Argentinian goalkeeper of Football Club de Porto. 44th minute, Grimaldo has a cross intended for RTT. But headed out for a corner by Marcano. 
uh, ensuing corner for, for Grimaldo finds its way into the mixer as RDT gets a piece of it. It goes wide to Samadish who drives a well-hit low cross uh, along the ground, but this time it's Pep who is there first. He beats all the red jerseys to it, breaks up the play, and puts it out of play. Uh, this was Benfica's first, or I should say Benfica's best opportunity of the first 45. Perhaps one of their best in the match, unfortunately. And um, in that 45th minute, Samadij will fall awkwardly just a moment later. He falls on his wrist, and the physios will tape up his wrist very heavily. But he would be subbed off at the half um, with that. And we have not seen... Uh, we haven't really seen Andreas Samadis since. Um, we go into the halftime team talk. Befica trailing a golden nil at home. Possession stat at halftime is 50-50. But again, like I say all the time, it's about territory. Otherwise, possession means nothing. Befica's possession is all in their back third. And it's all... You know, not dangerous. And as soon as they try to play the ball forward, the spaces are closed down. Um, and they're turning the ball over. Bruno Lage goes for a substitution right at the half. It's Tarapt coming on for Samadish, an injured Samadish, we're assuming. And you're hearing Queens, we will rock you in the stadium. Um, while, while Benfica is the first team out. And we are waiting for Porto to come out. And we'll use this opportunity right now to take a break. We will be right back with the second half. All right. Of course, uh, this is Mr. Benfica. It's episode 27, Reality Check. I am the Mr. Mike Agustino. And as always, find me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. Instagram at Mr. Benfica. And search for me on Facebook. Two words, Mr. Benfica. Stay right there. We'll be right back on the other side. Raul de Tomas, RDT, gets us started in the second half. He kicks off, and Benfica look to try to to turn this match around. And in the 47th, Tarapt with the turnover real early. And Porto counter by playing the ball in, but Odie is out pouncing on the loose ball. Forty-eighth minute, Tarapt again. He knocks it wide to Peasy, who hits a one-time first-touch switch all the way across the pitch to Grimaldo on the opposite touchline. Uh, he crosses it again, but again, it's Pep. We, we're going to talk about this guy. He's infuriating. He's obnoxious. Uh, I think he got away with way too much in this match. But when it comes up to defending, Pep is there, and. Benfica continue to struggle, continue to be frustrated. 51st minute, Rafa runs at pace once again forwards, forward towards the penalty area. But Pep gets a touch on the ball. But then he teams with Danilo to sandwich Rafa. George Souza, of course, closes his eyes and says, play on, wearing the blinders, as um, seems to happen when we play this team. And the game is stopped for a few minutes after uh, after Florentino Luis fouls Luis Diaz. And Rafa is still down holding his head, you know, victim of that just sandwich tackle from his national team teammates Danilo and Pep. 
We'll fast forward to the 57th minute. Tecatito's corner is won by Ruben Diaz, but Romario Baro plays it back into the penalty area. Odie comes out uh, to pull it down out of the air, but he's fouled by Pep, who's doing some... He's doing some impersonation of Kung Fu Fighter. No lie, this guy's got his studs straight up in the air, doing a, a karate kick. And again, George Souza leaving his card in the pocket. Pep getting away with everything. This is when I'm starting to lose my mind. And I said this last season. When he's playing for Portugal, he's a guy that I really rely on. He's a guy I trust to an extent. I know he's he's also a liability but man, when he is in those blue and white stripes, there is nothing more infuriating than this guy and the way he plays the game back there and the things he gets away with. But no die, no lie, you cannot deny the intelligence that this player has because he manages, no matter where he goes, whether he's at uh, Porto, whether he's at Real Madrid, whether he's at, where was he, Besiktas, wherever he is, he gets away with this. 58th minute, Rafa is cut down again by a wild pep. And again, George Souza says, play on. The ball is played long by Porto, forcing Odie way out of his goal. Uh, when, the ball, when he wins the ball with the header, but the header goes right to Zeluiz. Chaos ensues, but Benfica get back and are able to play it out for a corner. A uh, very hectic play, but for all the criticism of Odie that he doesn't come off his line well, he did well on this one. He had no option but to come out and head the ball. He did. Very unlucky that that header landed right at Zeluiz. 61st minute now. Beru plays another one over the top for Seth, who uses his thigh to set this one up and side volley, but the... the the effort goes wide, and it's all for none anyway, as the Swiss striker is off side. 62nd minute, Nuno Tavares carrying at full pace, but runs right into Alex Telj. Ball is eventually switched to Grimaldo um, as Benfica regain control, regain possession, I should say, switching to Grimaldo. And again, a poor cross from the Spaniard. Marchezin is there, easily collects it. 63rd minute, Rafa receives the on the left, cuts towards goal, tries to play a diagonal cross to RDT, but he, sh um, but he should have backed off and let PZ have the shot, as the ball was lining up perfectly for a shot for his his buddy there for his captain on the day PZ. However, Rafa, uh, with a little bit of tunnel vision on this one, didn't see his teammate coming in, played the ball to RDT, and it was broken up again by the Porto defense. 65th minute Benfica pushes. The ball gets played wide to Nuntavaj for a perfect cross but his right footed effort nearly goes out of the stadium. Um, the ball was perfect for a right footed cross. I mean it, it's the kind of cross that Under Almeida would dream of. Unfortunately young Nuntavaj's right foot puts this ball in the top row of the Stadio de Luz. 68th minute, Porto have a free kick in their own half. Pep wastes some more time. Again, no caution from Jorge Souza. Pep is just absolutely uh, playing the antagonist, playing it to a T, and Jorge Souza doing nothing about it.
again, this is not why Benfica lost, but this was definitely something that played right into Porto's hands. Jorge Souza allowing Porto to waste time. I don't know how. There was very little actual play in the second half. As you can see, we went through about 30 minutes of the second half in a matter of five minutes here on uh, here in, in reviewing the half. We're at minute 70 already as uh, PZ crosses from the right, but it's punched clear by Marquezine. The ball finds its way to Tarapt outside the area, but he continues to show he lacks any ability to hit a ball from distance. Um, he's absolutely zero threat to shoot Tarapt, that is. He can pass the ball as well as just about anybody. He can find the spaces. He can pick out the spots pretty well, but when put under pressure or when needing to knock a ball from distance, uh Terapt leaves much to be desired, in my opinion at least. 72nd minute, Benfica go to the bench again. Chiquinho coming on for RDT. I did not like this. There's been very few games where I I don't always like the, the, the changes or the decisions that Bruno Lage makes, but I usually can understand them. I don't understand this one. Um, RDT is doing the majority of the work in the front. He's playing out of position. He's yet to be given a chance to play his natural position, the number nine position. I understand why Sef is being preferred um, at least to start the match, but Seferovic having an absolutely uh, disaster of a match, uh, I would have subbed off Seferovic on this one. Played RDT up high with Shikinu, seen if, if a combination of Shikinu and RDT could have created something. Bruno Lage instead opts to take off RDT once again for the third consecutive match. Um, fourth, if you include the Super Cup. And Shikinu comes on and... Um, he would enter the match, the Portuguese uh, attacking midfielder slash supporting forward. Chiquinho brought in this offseason from Moreirense. 72nd minute still. Pep and Porto waste more time until finally their own subs are ready. So Sergio Conceição obviously um, countering Benfica's moves on the chessboard. <laughs> on come Two Bash brothers, two players that I think are absolute absolute garbage, to be honest with you. Of all the players on the top three teams in the big three, I think these are two of the worst players you can find on those three rosters. It's Tiquinho Suarez coming in for Zé Luiz and Otavio coming in for Romário Baró. But I understand the substitution. He's bringing in the Bash, these Bash brothers. He's bringing in guys to be physical, to break up any rhythm Benfica can start going getting. He's bringing in them to shore up and hold the ball better and two more antagonists to get under Benfica's skin to, to break that focus that Benfica need here in the final 20 minutes of the match. And believe it or not, George Souza will finally go to the card again, go to the pocket again. Yellow card for Zeluiz for wasting time as he leaves the pitch. Um, he Forgot to exit out the far side. So he sees a yellow card for that. Uh, funny that George Souza's cards are for time wasting. Whereas uh, Porto <laughs> allowed to really take liberties physically on the pitch itself. 73rd minute. Rafa. Um, Rafa will, will play the ball 
in the area, or he'll receive the ball in the area, I should say. He turns and crosses, but it is right to Marquezine. And Benfica really, really struggling, trying to get anything going, and just nothing can get going off the ground. Um, 76 minute PZ fouls Tecatino, Tecatito, excuse me. And Porto will waste some more time. More precious minutes tick off. 77th minute, it's Tarap finding PZ, who tries to cross along the ground, but this whole time it's Alex Telj with the block. 78th minute, Nuntavaj loses the ball in his attacking third to Danilo, who drills a beautiful left-footed ball on a line to a wide-open Otavio, who plays in Marega, um, untouched, one versus one with Odie, but the, Ma the Malian international will miss wide, and when this happened, I thought to myself, okay, let's make them pay for that. They should have put the game away. They should have iced it. The three points should have been guaranteed on that play. They missed the sitter. Let's make them pay for that. Um, Bruno Lage makes his final substitution. This is one I understood and agreed with. Um, ten minutes to go, and it is Carlos Vinicius coming off the bench, replacing Tino, his classic uh, attacker for a mid, to try to to um, strengthen Benfica's opportunities, put more bodies in the attack. However, um, rewind to the Taz of the Liga semifinal a year ago, and when Bruno Lage tried this, it backfired. He tried it in another game last season. I don't remember exactly which one. I think it was um, it was in, in Germany against Frankfurt. Um, every time he seems to bring in an attacker for a midfielder, bad things happen. And uh, Sergio Conceição, of course, will will counter as well as as uh, he will bring on Wilson Manafa for Luis Diaz. And Porto gets a yellow again for the only thing they seem to get yellows for. This one was comic because Diaz <laughs> will stop a good. 20, 20 yards from the from the sideline in the middle of the pitch, unroll his socks and take off his shin guards and start walking. George shows, shows the yellow card. However, um, more time off the clock, and Befica, you know, unable to get anything going. And that uh, these little things really make it hard to get anything going, as uh, Porto know exactly what they're doing. Um, they're well prepared. Sergio Conceição, I think, coached a masterpiece in this match. He was a, he was helped a lot by the fact that he got that lucky goal. Okay, um, had that knock on in, and had Benfica squeaked the lucky goal, we'd be say, we could very easily be saying the same thing about Bruno Lage. But you know what? Good managers have good games and bad games. Bad managers have good games and bad games. All right, this is not a knock on Bruno Lage's quality, but just like players don't always perform in every match, coaches don't always perform in every match, and I think Bruno Lage in this one was not very good, and I think he'd be the first to admit that if, if uh, you know, if questioned on it, I think he would say that he was outcoached by Sergio Conceição in this match, and um, sometimes it's just the way the ball rolls, and you get the upper hand, and you give a good manager like Sergio Conceição the upper hand, he's not going to give it back. Um, 82nd minute, Vinicius will break in in a physical battle one-on-one -on -one with Pep. He outpowers the former Real Madrid player, but he cannot um, serve in for a teammate who is wide open near the goal. Uh, once again, it is Marchezine on the ball, 
Very frustrating. But Fika missing that delivery all match. They just can't get that last delivery to give themselves a chance at equalizing. 83rd minute. Telsh and Seferovic are trading words as the Brazilian from Rio Grande do Sul presses his forehead against the Swiss's head. Um, players have been sent off for far less. Not to mention um, the guy... <laughs> The guy on the other end of the pitch in this match, uh, wearing the blue and white stripes, the number three. Of course, I'm talking about Pep. He was sent off for less in World Cup 2014, if you remember, against Germany in that match down in Bahia in Brazil. He um, he he gave a little love tap with his head. No different. Was sent to the showers early. Georges uh, Souza, of course does not do that. He gives a yellow to each guy, which I thought was was hilarious and quite um, comical when uh, he knew he knew very well what he was doing. That was going to do absolutely nothing. 84th minute, it's Fehu and Marega battling. Fehu forced to make the tackle and concede the corner as um, the very, very strong Malian forces him with his power to uh, play the ball out, giving Porto another corner. In the 85th minute, we see Chiquinho go down after a real weird, awkward movement in a 1v1 battle with that same Marega. Uh, he tries to play on, though, as he limps on. 86th minute, though, it's Otavio, one of my least favorite players on planet Earth, um, with a rare bit of class, <laughs> a really rare bit of class. Usually he's just there to kick people and elbow people and knock long balls. But he puts a nice ball in. Um, he plays in Marega. Ferro cannot run down the Malian. And Marega, with some nice, nice touch, beats Odie with the inside of his right foot, kissing it off of the post to Odie's left. And the ball will trickle in for the goal. The Topo North goes absolutely crazy. The Porto fans are on their feet as Marega makes it 2 0 for. Porto, and at this point, we see Chiquinho down again. Chiquinho uh, limping, tears in his eyes as Benfica's medical staff makes their way to the field to check out the Portuguese player's um, condition. And you can tell um, just by his body language that something is seriously wrong. Um, really, really tearing up and he's 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 full out crying at this point you know that he's injured and that it can't be good he knows it's good Benfica pull him off he's forced to, to the sidelines Benfica have used up all three subs and in a case of where just every decision Benfica made in this match whether it was playing whether it was who to pass to where to play the ball what substitution to make everything turned out to be the wrong decision on this day there are days like that where, where these things happen, even to grow, to good teams. Um, now Benfica forced, you know, forced to play the last uh, five to ten minutes of this match with only ten players down 2-0 in their home stadium to their biggest rival. And you see him, you see Chiquinho covering his face. Um, and we would find out a few days later this injury was indeed serious. It was a torn adductor. And he will be out until... Uh, early 2020 at the best. Um, definitely going to be out for the rest of the calendar 2000. 
and 19. A huge blow, absolutely devastating blow to Benfica. Very devastating for me personally, as I really like this player, Chiquinho. Every time he's come on the field, he has made the most of the few minutes that he has been given. Um, really, really able to create in situations where others can't. Um, he brings something different that nobody else on the field brings. He's not João Felix. I'm not going to give make make comparisons to João Felix. João Felix is not a Benfica player anymore. We have to get out of the idea that someone's just going to slot into his place and and you know be João Felix. No, Chiquinho is Chiquinho. He brings a little bit more though than and he plays that supporting forward better than anyone on this roster. Better than than Tarapt can. Better than I believe Jota can. As Jota is a bit more of a wide player, though he's improving in all in all aspects of the game. Um, but now Benfica are without Chiquinho for the rest of 2019. Very very harsh blow. And you hear in the 90th minute the Porto fans chanting "Tu da saltar, tu da saltar." Benfica fans will drown it out though in a very very um. Honorable moment for the 60,000 plus as the Benfica fans will sing You Benfica Campeão and just drown out the Porto fans. However, we go a few minutes later and it is what to me was the most, probably the most infuriating and the most disgraceful really part of this performance from this Benfica team. The champions of Portugal as... Porto string together 44, yes, 44 passes, 44 Olege from the Topo North. And this infuriated me to no end. If I'm Bruno Lage, I know he's a classy guy and he won't do this. This is where my class goes out the window. And I'm telling somebody to go in studs up and make a damn tackle, okay? Do not let this team come into your stadium and string together 44 passes like that in a 2-0 convincing victory. They're humiliating you. Where is the pride in these players? Where is the pride for the symbol on their jersey? If you can't take the ball clean, cut somebody down. Someone who doesn't have a yellow card, take a yellow card. Do not let these guys come into your house and humiliate and disrespect you like that. Kudos to Porto for being able to do it, but very shameful from Benfica to allow it, in my opinion. I don't know why no one on the bench was, 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 this is just something you don't allow in your house. Can you imagine those strong Man United teams allowing a Liverpool team to come, or Man City to come in and do this? No, Roy Keane would have cut these guys down. And he'd have taken a yellow if he didn't, Dennis Irwin would have, or or Mark Hughes, or Steve Bruce, Eric Cantona. One of these guys would have really made one of the opponents pay for this kind of, uh, this kind of showboating, this kind of one-touch. It looked like a training drill where the possessing team has more players than the defending team, and they just possess at one touch. You do it in training a lot of times it, it's like a 10 on 5 or a or a a 8 on 4 situation where you see teams string together these kinds of passes. No, this was 10 it was only 11 on 10 and uh a real lack of pride or just a lack of of belief or or desire in the Befica side to at least put an end to those 44 touches. Very, very frustrating 
for me, this was my, I mean, I just, I can't excuse this. Just where I'm coming from. I would not let my players allow this. My players would, would have, you know, if I'm coaching and a team is doing this in my stadium to me, especially a team that is of my level, this is not, this is not, you know, Tondela taking on Real Madrid or Porto doing this to, to, to Athletic Club de Portugal or Casa Pia, okay, a team that's, you know, that's light years ahead of you. This is Porto and Benfica. And Porto is stringing together these kinds of passes. No way should that have been allowed. I I would lose my mind on my players if they allowed this. And when Benfica finally gets the ball back in the 95th minute, some four and a half minutes later, um, Tarapt will turn well. I'll give Tarapt credit on this. He carries into space, plays a nice ball wide to Pizzi, who crosses it along the ground for a sliding Seferovic. And Seferovic beats Marchezine. He gets it by him as uh, the Argentinian gets a hand to it, but it pops up and into the goal. However, the flag is up for offside, and oh man, was I pissed off at this point. I mean, we couldn't even get the consolation goal. Nothing would go our way in this match. VAR would confirm the offside by the slimmest of margins. I mean, we're talking... If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, we're talking about like 20 centimeters that the VAR would show uh, Seferovic offside on this play. That'd be the last play of the game, essentially. Uh, Georges Souza would blow the whistle three times for the close of the match. Benfica nil, Porto two. Let's go now to the goal zone rankings in this match, starting with Benfica, the, the losing side today. Odie in goal, a good performance from Odie overall. Um, he made some good saves, 6.3 for Odie. The back four, uh, very disappointing 5.3 for Nuno Tovaj, 5.6 for Ruben Diaz, not uh, much better. Uh, the low point for Benfica, the low, the low mark of the the players for Benfica would be Ferro with a 4.3, Grimaldo with a 5.9. Um, might be a little generous. Really didn't get anything accomplished all game, Grimaldo. Uh, the midfield pairing, Samadis, 5.8 for the uh, one half he played. Tino, a disappointing 5.3. Pizzi would be Benfica's best performer on the day. Um, some good effort from Pizzi, but he found every route he took. Uh, closed down and blocked by Porto's um, well well organized um, well organized formation and passing lanes were just cut for him. He really couldn't the the assist king really couldn't set anybody up in this game. Um, he's one of the guys though I think put in a good effort if not a good it was not a good performance but it was a solid effort. He's rewarded with the six point nine on goal point. Uh, Rafa on the other end, 5.7, just a lot of dead ends for him. But at the same time, um, again, Porto cutting off everything. And the other players not opening space. I don't think the forwards were able to to successfully open any space for the wide players to run through. And the outside backs were not successful in overlapping. They were not successful in, in creating many chances, which of course made it much easier for Porto to close down Rafa and Pizzi. Um, also, it seems like when Rafa gets the ball, there's a lot of times where Befica stops and watches rather than, than opening space for him or setting themselves up to receive the ball back from him. Um, low marks for the forwards, of course, 
4.7 for RDT and 4.4 for Seferovic. Um, overall, just not a good performance. And um, I think Bruno Lage sticking with this 4-4-2 uh, with this tandem up front is a mistake. Um, it's just not working. It's just not working. The players are just too similar. Um, it will take a long time to adapt a player like RDT to be a supporting forward playing in space rather than being the number nine he's used to be. And really, that's the player you bought. You paid $20 million for a number nine who scored 14 goals in La Liga last year. Um, you didn't pay $20 million to convert him into a poor man's João Felix, essentially. Uh, I think Bruno Lage needs to reevaluate the way he he puts this 11 on the field, and what he's going to do about that forward tandem, to be honest with you. And Seferovic is very slow coming out of the gates, as he was last season. Um, it's been pointed out by a number of people. Um, Tino uh, on Twitter, Tino, Timo, excuse me, he, he's pointed it out, as has Dave on the Bayfica podcast. Um, you go back to last year at this time, Seferovic was also with just one goal. Our forwards had just that, just had two goals as they do this year, and PZ and Rafa creating it. Mostly PZ getting all the goals. Um, so perhaps we can turn it around, but I don't like making those comparisons. I don't want this year to be like last year. I don't want to run. I don't want to fall behind seven points and have to make a historic second half of the season just to win the title. I want to see Benfica. Not let that happen. I want to see Benfica control their destiny this year. I want to see Benfica um, control this league. It's very early. Yes, it's three points lost, but there is a lot of football to be played. It's only round three. 31 rounds to go. Okay, Porto are going to... Yeah, they looked great on this day. Are you convinced? I'm not convinced yet that Porto are... uh, that this is the Porto we're going to see week in, week out. We saw the best of Porto play against the worst of Benfica. And... Um, I'm not convinced we're going to see this Porto on a Monday night after a Thursday night Europa League match. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm sure Sergio Conceição is going to manage his squad, you know, as best he can. But they're not that deep of a team. Benfica is far deeper. They've got more options. Um, Porto put the best they could on the field and, and everything went right for Porto in this match as it had to. My hat's off to them, like I said. They won clean. They won fair. Um, they deserved to win. They were the, the deserving winners. But this, you know, just like, you know, Befica beating five, Sporting 5-0 did not make them, you know, the best team in the league by a mile. Losing to Porto does not make them the worst team, okay? We can't, we got to get away from these extremes. Got to get away from these thoughts where we just jump to conclusions and jump to uh, to to extremes, you know, it's not hot or cold. It's in between. It's not black or white. It's shades of gray. There's a long way to go. A lot of football to be played. A lot of story will be told. There's a lot of chapters left in this book. Let's let's get a grip here. Let's let's uh, pump the brakes a little bit and take this one match at a time, rather than you know. I, 
I even heard people calling for, for Bruno Leish to be fired. I think this is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. But I heard it, okay? I call for, you know, they're calling this guy a flop and that guy a, a phony. And let's just, uh, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. We met a team that was ready to play us. We met a team that was well-prepared, that had the ability to do what they do. They closed down spaces. They pressed us, did not allow us to play our game, did not allow us to play out of the back, largely in part to the fact that we had a lefty playing right back. That I, I can't stress enough how much that impedes a team going forward. A lot of people don't understand that. They think just, oh, you're just switching sides and it's... And that professionals should be able to play with both feet. Guess what? That's not the case. Especially not against other professionals. Okay? And they're not just playing other professionals. They're playing the other top team in the league. This league, really, there are two teams that have a realistic chance at winning this league. Okay? No disrespect to to Fomalicão. No disrespect to Sporting, Sporting Braga, or Vitória Guimarães, Hiwav, any of them. Okay? But... The winner of this league is either going to be Porto or it's going to be Benfica. There's, you know, that's a 99.9999999% probability that one of those two teams is going to take this title. So Benfica just need to readjust and to go back to work and start making some adjustments. That's the one thing I'm concerned is if I don't see adjustments. If I see us continuing to do things that don't work, it is, like we say, it is the definition of insanity to do the same thing over and over and over and expect different results. Um, so hopefully we're going to see some different results with Befica going into Braga and especially with the international break, um, a good time for Bruno Lage to play around in training and try to make some other combinations and see what works. Let's go to the goal point for uh, the Porto players. Marchezin was a 5.5. Tecatito with a 6.1, a good performance from the Mexico player. Pep, 6.8, monstrous performance for him. Marcano was a 5.8, Alex Telsch, 5.5. Midfield duo, Mateo Zoribe, 6.8. Danilo, only a 5.3. I disagree with that. I think Danilo was, was very, very strong. I think Mateus and, if I were rating this, uh, Mateus and Danilo both were sevens for me. In this match, uh, they were just—they were the reason that that Benfica were unable to get anything going. Uh, Romario Baro, five point eight. Luis Diaz, five point nine. Marega was a seven point zero. And the man of the match, of course, seven point seven. The Cape Verdean international, Zé Luiz. Um, very, very good performance from Zé Luiz. Uh, very good. Like I said, Porto were just ready, and Sergio Conceição. Essentially coached a perfect match. Every move he made, every decision he made worked out. Brulage had the opposite uh, experience on the day. Does not mean that he's not a, a great manager and that he's not the right guy for this Benfica. Let's not jump off the bridge at this point. It's his first defeat. Uh, finally, after 23 matches, Brunelage, uh has a defeat in Portugal. Um... So we don't have to talk about the undefeated uh, run of Brunelage anymore. Um, that distraction is gone. Uh, my final thoughts in this um, are that, like I said, Benfica just need to go back to work. Way too much football left to be to be panicking. Um, I was, like I said, upset about the lack of character, lack of 
of passion in the Benfica players when they were down 2 nothing at the end. Um, lack of creativity when things weren't going right. Got to pick something up. This team, they, I... You know, had I recorded this after the match, I would have said they need to go into the transfer market. They need to get somebody to change something in this team, especially with the uh, the injuries. Guess what? They did not do that. <laughs> Mifika, uh, much to nobody's surprise, uh, stayed away from the market. It looks like we're not buying players anymore. Which, if you want to be a team that that wins titles and challenges in Europe, as much as we love using the Formação, using the academy. They're a great supplement, but you have to go out and get what the academy does not provide. Um, a real backup to Gabriel is necessary. This 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 president and this board failed to go get us another uh, center mid. Gabriel should be back um, within a couple of weeks. Uh, he should be back after the international break. But who's to say? You know, he this is a second. Um, prolonged injury he's had in his short tenure with Benfica. You need another option at that point. It's not Samadis. You can't play with two holding mids. Okay, for me, Terapt is not a solution. Not not full time. Not for ninety minutes. I know he. We'll get to Terapt in the next episode and his performance in Braga. I'll get to that. I'll give you my thoughts. I'm not hating on the guy, but we need better than than Terapt. Um, in my opinion. In my opinion. You're free to disagree with me, please. By all means, I'm not here to tell you what to think. But in my opinion, from what I've seen, Tarap does not provide enough for my liking, especially on the defensive. He is a liability positionally. He is a liability defensively. Yeah, you can get by through 90% of your matches with the teams we play in our league. That shouldn't hurt us, but in big games... And in European games, you need a better option than Terapt in that position, in my opinion, okay? And it's I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I think he has a place on this team. He has a role on this team, but it's not to be a number eight for 90 minutes. Absolutely not, in my opinion, okay? Like I said, he lacks the he lacks the, the outside shot. He scored that goal in Foxborough, lucky because it hit a defender and it trickled its way in, okay? Um, that, he... You saw, he's no threat to shoot. Defenses can just continue to to drop in with keeping him in front of them. Not going to hurt him. You take away his passing lanes, then what? Um, that's just what I think there. Um, also, we need, we need another right defender. Absolutely need another right defender. It's not 17-year-old... Um, not 17-year-old Tomas Tavares, in my opinion, right now. You're going to put... If something happens to Andre Almeida again, you're going to put a 17-year-old in or you're going to put a left-footed 19-year-old in. Neither one of those is a good decision at this point. Um, they really should have gone to the market and got somebody to supplement that position. They did not. And, of course, we need an attacking mid or a second forward. Um... Or you need to try the guys you have. I think that position, we have guys that can do it. We have three guys, I think, that can fill the void um, in a 4-4-2, playing behind a striker or supporting the striker right in our, our roster when um, the answer is not the twin strikers, in my opinion. Okay, I think you, you give the chance to, with Shikinu out, you still have 
Jota, Caio Lucas, who has not been given an opportunity, who looked good in preseason, and you have you always have Rafa who can who can in an emergency play in that position and leave the left for Jota to do. There's options. There's options. There's no need to play with two number nines because it just isn't working. I'd like to see them try something else. It doesn't mean you can't go back to it later if a match later on calls for it. That's just my opinion. That's what I'm thinking right now. But, um, again, head up, go forward. Braga is next, and we'll talk about that in episode 28. All right, so this is going to be it for this week. A little bit of a different format. Um, Some of the segments you're used to, probably not there, but we're catching up. All right. Uh, stay tuned to this space. In the very next couple days, you'll you can expect episode twenty eight where we talk about the match versus Braga in the Pudreira. All right. After that, um, sometime this upcoming weekend, episode twenty nine will be a recap of the women's Super Cup final between the same two clubs, Benfica Sporting Braga. They played the women's Super Cup in Tondela. Um, Benfica going for it there. Third piece of silverware in the the women's department's history. All right. Um, that's it for this episode, for episode 27. I am the Mr. Mike Agostino signing off. Don't forget to find me on the social media, at, on Twitter, at Benfica Mr. On Instagram, at Mr. Benfica. And, of course, on Facebook, just put in the search, Mr. Benfica. You will find me there. This is a good night to everybody. Thank you for uh, for hanging on. Sorry about the delay. I haven't forgot you guys. Um, thank you as always for the amazing support. Um, very, I'm very grateful for the very loyal uh, base of listeners that I have. Um, a lot of you have reached out um, and just made sure things are still coming. Uh, shout out to Neil, who I was exchanging messages with uh, just yesterday. Neil Fernandez, of course, uh, up there in in Canada in the six. Um, here's the first of the episodes I told you were on the way. I'll see you in a couple days for episode 28 and the visit to Braga. Have a good one, everybody. And viva Benfica, carrega Benfica, don't give up. Um, juntos somos mais fortes. Dam u 38. This is Mr. Benfica. <laughs>